Let's all stand and turn to 105. We're going to talk about the grace and love of our Lord Grace. Have your will and have your way. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
as many of you know, uh, this year we're doing something a little bit different than normal. Usually uh, we would have gone on an international mission trip this summer, uh, but what, with everything that took place right here in our own community, uh, we have decided this year we're going to take a mission trip right here to Marshall County uh, with the amount of work that's needed to be done, with the amount of people that are needed to be ministered to. And so um, even starting yesterday, that mission trip kind of started as we had a team uh, that began some, began some of the preliminary work at the home that we're going to be working on. Uh, but we're going to have a team of about 14 or 15 this week that's going to be working right here in Marshall County doing some construction work and uh, ministering to folks within our own community. And so this morning I want us to have an opportunity, as we would with any other mission trip, to be able to pray and to commission that team. And so if you're a part of our Mission Marshall uh, mission team, if you'd come up to the front, and uh, we want to be able to have an opportunity to pray over you as we send you out this week to minister in our own community. So those of you that are a part of that team, if you'd come down at this time. Amen. They're coming from all sectors. <laughs> Amen. These are our workers coming from a lot of different places where they're working this morning even. Amen. And I so appreciate this team, uh, this, this group of folks that uh, have, have said, you know what, I'm going to give up a week at, at work, a vacation. I'm going to give up a week with my, my family, maybe my kids or my grandkids, and I'm going to invest in the lives of folks in this community to minister to them. And so I'm uh, so thankful for them and so thankful for uh, the work that they're going to be doing throughout the week. And so uh, let's spend some time in prayer for them. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to do Acts 1-8 kind of missions in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. And it's all of those parts. It's not just locally. It's not just within our state or our nation. It's not just in other parts of the world, but it's, it's all of those. And so this week, we have an opportunity to minister in our Jerusalem. We have an opportunity to take a mission trip and to bless the folks that are hurting right here in the midst of our own community. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity to be your hands and to be your feet in a very tangible way to folks that have experienced disaster in December. And so, Lord, I thank you for these men and women. Lord, I thank you for their love to serve. Lord, I thank you for their excitement to join you in the work that you're doing here. And so, Lord, I pray that we might be a blessing to all the families that we are able to minister to this week. Lord, I pray that we're able to share the gospel, um, perhaps with homeowners, Lord, perhaps with neighbors. Uh, Lord, that those who don't yet know you might see the love of your people that we have experienced from you, and that might be shed upon them. And they might want a relationship with you like we have, a relationship that impacts every aspect of our lives. And so, Lord bless these folks. We're going to be in a lot of different situations this week. Keep them safe. And Lord, I pray that you would fill them up this week, not only to do the physical labor, but to love on folks and, and, and to meet spiritual needs this week as well, to your honor and to your glory. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
when I think of how he came so far from glory came and dwelt among the lowly such as I who suffer shame and such disgrace on Mount Calvary take my place then I ask myself this question who am I who would bleed and die for Who am I that he would pray not my will thy prayer The answer I may I'm reminded of his words. I'll leave you never. Yes, it's true. I'll give to you a life forever. I don't know what I.
Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Tim, for that special music. Thank you for leading us this morning in worship. And today, if you will, turn with me again, as we did last week, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And this morning, we'll be looking at verses 24 through 30 and looking at the questioned parable. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for the way you've already worked within our hearts today, for the opportunity we've had to worship and lift up our hearts and voices to you in praise, to spend time in prayer, to, to, to pray for this team that's going out this week. And Lord, now, uh, as we study your word, Lord, I pray that you would remove all distractions from this place today. Lord, what we are going to be talking about today is a, is a very serious matter, and it's, it's one I know that... The enemy would love to distract us from, would love to distract individuals who need to hear from, from truly hearing and being convicted of sin. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus, help us to uh, really lock in and, and be focused on your word and your teaching. And, Lord, that you would speak clearly to all of our hearts, to the saved and to the lost this morning. Lord, I know that I'm a very weak vessel. And I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you be seen and only you be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. As we look at yet another parable uh, given by the Lord here in chapter 13. Begin there in verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while, he sl but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and it brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and, and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let them let both grow together until the harvest and the time of harvest. I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bounds, and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. You may be seated. So again this morning we come to Matthew chapter 13. And in this chapter Jesus gives no less than eight different parables. And in these earthly stories that have a heavenly meaning... Jesus speaks about God's plan of salvation. Uh, Jesus speaks about the work of Satan. He speaks about the, the fickle nature of the human heart and the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. And after Jesus had finished telling the first four parables, the disciples came to him and they asked him a question. Look with me at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. That's interesting. 
They didn't ask about the sower. They didn't ask about the soils or the seed. They didn't ask about the mustard seed. They didn't ask about heaven. When they asked Jesus to explain a parable, they asked him to explain this one. This parable that is the focus of our attention this morning was the question on the hearts of the disciples. So why did they choose this one particular parable over the others? Well, the Bible doesn't say for sure why they ask a question about this one parable. But I'm going to venture to guess this morning. And my guess is that this parable that we just looked at this morning contains some elements that troubled the twelve. It contains some elements that they said, whoa, what's this talking about? And, and, and quite frankly, some of those elements caused me to say, whoa, that, that's a little troublesome. See, by way of introduction, examine this parable and, and, and do so by using the explanation that Jesus gave. And notice some reasons why this parable, of all the eight that he told that day, caught the attention of the disciples. First, notice the context here. The farmer plants a wheat field. And this, this field that is being planted belongs to the farmer. Okay, And so we're told very clearly that the farmer planted good seed. He expected a great harvest because of the seed that he had planted. However, while he and, and while his servants slept, his enemy entered the field and planted tares among the wheat. Now, what are tares? Well, basically, tares are weeds by another name. Uh, they're, they're actually called bearded darnel. And in the early stages of development, tares look exactly like wheat. So the stalk growing up would look exactly like a wheat stalk. It is only when that plant has matured, it's only when the kernel has formed its head and, and, and that you can really see the genuine wheat and tell it apart from the weed, which is the tares. The two plants cannot be told apart from until the point in time when the fruit has been shown. That's the only way the wheat can be told is because wheat produces fruit and a wheat plant has a head that, that is far different than the poisonous seeds that would come from a tear. And so the field looks good. And so the farmer is, get, is, is expecting a, a harvest, a bumper crop. And it seems that there's more wheat growing than he expected. As he looks, he says, I want, that's, it's looking like this crop is producing more than I would have expected. And then look at verse 25. While the men slept, his enemy came and he sowed tares among that's an important word he sowed the tares among the wheat so that they would grow up together among as the harvest grew near it came apparent that there were weeds within the farmer's wheat the servants discover these weeds and they come and they tell the master about the problem and, and, and you see they they were able to tell the difference because the wheat developed a kernel that grew inside the head of that wheat plant. And the weight of, of those kernels caused the wheat stalk to bend, making it look as if the wheat plants were bowing themselves to the earth. While the tares, on the other hand, 
have a very light head, and they would have stood straight and tall and proud. And so the servants see the problem, and they offer a solution. They offer to begin to pull up the weeds, to begin to pull up these tares. But the master, knowing that the roots of the tares have now intertwined themselves with the wheat, forbids them to do so. He knows that if the tares are pulled up, that it will damage much of his wheat, that it will uproot wheat along with tares. And so he counsels them to let it all grow together, to let them grow together until the time of the harvest, and then he will send in his reapers to gather the, the tares first, and the tares will be bound together, and they will be burned. And then the wheat will be gathered into his place in the barn. In explaining this parable, Jesus gives his disciples, and he gives us, the identities of those involved in the story. And so, of course, the, the, the sower here, the farmer, is Christ. The good seed is the gospel of grace. It is always good seed. We talked about that in the parable of the soils. There's never anything wrong with the seed of the gospel. It is good seed. The one who sowed the tares is the devil. He's the enemy. The wheat represents those who are saved, those who have a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the tares, the tares are those who are unsaved, but have the appearance of salvation. Those who have the appearance of salvation. So what does that mean? That means we're talking about unsaved church folk. That's who the tares are. They're not just people out in the world who are sinners who could care little to nothing about the church. These tares are church folks. They're folks that come three times a week. They're folks that sit in the pew. They're folks that probably amen. That's who's being talked about here. Their tares are those in the church who look saved, who act saved, who sound saved, who know the lingo, but who are in truth deceived. And are not saved. The, ta- the tares are those who expect, oh, they expect that by their works they're going to go to heaven when they, when they die. That they're good folks, that they've done their due, that they've given their tithes, that they've put in their time. But they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They expect to go to heaven. But they will go to hell. You see, just like tares, lost sinners, even those who act saved are the ones who are being spoken of here. And just like the tares will be burned in the end, that is the destiny of all those, regardless of how good we think we are, who do not have a relationship with Christ. And I'm absolutely certain this morning that as I preach, there are tares here today. That's sad about every church, but that's the truth about every church. There are those who think they're saved. Some of you may be here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I hope I'm saved. But I don't really have any assurance of that. You know the lingo of the church, and you look saved, and you act saved as, as those around you would say, well, yeah, they're, good, they're a good person. I'm sure that they're saved. But you've never, ever really begun a personal love relationship with Christ. You've always simply gone through the motions. You've always simply put on the assad that, that you think people want to see. But you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. I have... Just one objective this morning in preaching this message. It's not an easy message to preach. But it's the same objective that the Apostle Paul had as he commanded the 
Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. And to do what the Apostle Peter did in 2 Peter 1, 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. How do we make sure that our election is sure? We make sure we have a personal love relationship with Christ. That we're trusting nothing and no one other than Jesus Christ for our salvation. And so the question comes this morning from a many, I'm sure. Well, Brother Brad, why are you preaching a message like this? Why are you preaching this to us this morning? And the answer is, is, is that I don't, I don't want you to go through life thinking that you're good enough. And thinking that you've done enough good things to get to heaven but never have begun a relationship with christ and i don't want you to end up in hell i want you to be sure that you have a relationship with christ i want you to be so sure that it's the most important relationship that you can imagine it's more important than the relationship with your spouse with your kids with your parents with your best friend that this is the most important relationship in your life and so this morning the question comes are you wheat or you are you the weeds and someone might say well brother brad we're all saved here this morning. This is Brownsburg Baptist Church. There's no need for a message like this. We all have a relationship with Christ. You don't know that. You don't know that this morning. Someone might say, well, Brother Brad, you know, I, I, I know that I'm saved because my mama, she told me that I got saved when I was a young person and, and I, I walked the aisle and I prayed with the preacher and I was baptized, so I'm saved. Well, your mama doesn't save you. A relationship with Christ saves you. Well, maybe you're saying, well, you know, I know that, that my mama is saved. Well, you, you may not know that. Well, I know my daddy's saved and my grandmother's saved and my granddad's saved. You, you don't necessarily know that. Well, I know that my kids are saved because, you know, I've always had them in church. Unless they have a relationship with Christ, they're not. And so the truth is, is, is that we don't know. We don't know if anyone is saved other than ourselves. And sometimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're good enough to be saved, but we don't really have a relationship with Christ. And so all that to say... I want you to focus this morning. You see, if, if everyone who says they were saved were truly saved, our nation wouldn't be in the shape that we're in today. In the United States of America, 250 million people self-categorize themselves as Christians. That's a lie. There's no way. There's no way that 65 to 75% of the American population truly has a relationship with Christ and that we still this morning are dealing with school shootings and that we're still this morning dealing with abortion and drinking and sexual abuse and, 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 and pride parades in, in small towns like Paducah and Murray, that we're still dealing with the kind of things that we're dealing with. There's no way that 65 to 75% of this nation knows Jesus. There's just no way. But you know what is true? There's a whole lot of tares. There's a whole lot of weeds in the church. And that's what this is about. And so allow me to share three brief thoughts with you this morning to tell what the wheat and the weeds have in common, but which also point out what makes them so, so different. So this morning, I, I want you to, to listen. I, I beg you to listen. I beg you to hear me out this morning. I beg you to, to allow the Lord to speak to your heart today. I beg you, don't distract your neighbor. Don't be asking 
you know, can I have a piece of gum or what, what time are we getting? No, just please focus for the next few minutes and allow the Lord to speak. Allow him to speak into your heart. Allow him to speak into your loved one's heart this morning. And let's begin with verses 24 and 25. We see that both were planted together. Both the wheat and the weeds shared the common experience of having been planted, purposefully planted. The difference is the experience is revealed in two very important ways. First is the character of the seed. Obviously, the wheat seed produced wheat, while the tear seeds produced tares. They produced these uh, seeds that were imitators, but were actually poisonous, okay? And so on a spiritual level, the seed is that thing in which we have placed our faith in. And so for the genuine believer, the seed is the seed of the gospel. For those of us who have a relationship with Christ, the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's our faith. It's what he has done in us. And so the truly born-again person is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And for the truly born-again believer, you have assurance of salvation because that relationship is the most real relationship in your life. My relationship with Christ is stronger than my relationship with my wife. Praise God. And she praises God for that too because it makes me a better husband. My relationship with Christ is greater than my relationship with my kids. And they praise God for that because it makes me a better dad. It is the most important relationship of my life. And so therefore, it, 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 it's not something I question. I know it's there because it's real. The tares, on the other hand, may be trusting in any number of things for salvation, but not Christ. They trust in emotional experiences. They trust in a spiritual uh, experience that they had at some point, but it, it's, a, it's a foggy memory to them. Um, physical experiences that they've had that they say, you know, that, that really changed me at that moment. But it's not a relationship with Christ. It's a lot of peripheral things, a lot of peripheral experiences. It all comes down to where you've placed your faith, though, in what your seed truly is. What are you trusting in? Who, what are you trusting in for your salvation this morning? There may be someone who says, well, Brother Brad, my mom assured me that I was saved. I, she, she told me I was. She, she, she even wrote it down in my Bible. Again, mama and daddy and grandparents and, and, a, and a wonderful Sunday school teacher or a wonderful pastor, they cannot save you. Only Christ can save you. You better not depend on assurance of somebody else saying that you're saved for your, for your salvation. Trust in Christ. Another might say, well, it's, a, it's kind of a fuzzy experience. I don't remember so much about it, but, but everyone tells me that I was saved. Boy, that's, that's shaky ground, isn't it? Folks, we need to realize, sadly, that hell is filled with people who are basing their salvation on fuzzy experiences that they had when they were a child or some emotional experience during some revival or, or a great service that they experienced. What we need to understand is that salvation only comes to a heart that has been convicted of sin and has genuinely repented of that sin and trusted by faith in the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, 4, uh, John 6, 44 tells us that it's impossible to be saved until the sinner has been drawn by God. If you haven't experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing you to him, you will not be saved. And friend, if you have ever been under conviction, you're never going to 
you're never going to be able to forget it. Amen? If you have ever experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit, it'll put you on the ground. You won't be able to do anything until you get into a relationship with Christ. Or it'll make you sick, one. And I've seen people do that. I've seen people hospitalized because they were so sick under conviction and they refused to come to Christ. And it literally made them physically sick. You're going to remember when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. You're going to remember it. It's not going to be some fuzzy memory. There's nothing fuzzy about an experience with Christ. The question that must be answered today is this. Where is your faith? On what do you base your hope of heaven? It must be in the gospel. That is, in the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That atoning work that he did at the cross of Calvary. Many of us are, are very familiar with vaccinations right now. For, for the flu or for covid and if you've ever had one of those injections, you've had a dead virus injected into you in order to inoculate you against the real thing. The doctor gave you that to prevent you from getting the real thing. And in a spiritual sense, I'm afraid that many church members have been inoculated with a dead religious experience. With a dead virus of religion that will prevent them from having a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. And that's a big difference. So many people say they've had some kind of experience. They experienced something one time. It's a, a foggy memory, but they experienced it. And because of that, they will never truly come to a relationship with Christ. They think they're okay, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. Be sure your faith is in the right one. But also the character of the sower. The good seed was sown by the owner of that field. The tares were sown by the enemy. So why did the enemy do this? Well, obviously, it was a, an effect to ruin the crop, the entirety of the crop. And ultimately, it was, a, it was a full frontal attack upon the farmer himself. Satan is in the business of sowing weeds amongst the Lord's wheat. Why? Well, we know that if, if he can uh, place enough artificial into the, the real thing of the church, that it'll become a dysfunctional place. Satan is in the business of undoing all that the Lord is doing. And so if he can fill the church with lost folks, with lost church members, then he can fill hell with a multitude of deceived people. He, if he can mix enough goats in with amongst the sheep, then he can disrupt the harmony of, his, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ's church. So whenever there is a church in trouble, you can look around and you can figure out that there's some weeds, there's some tares amongst those church members. That somebody has come in there and they've stirred discord. Satan knows that, that enough lost people in the church will give the church a bad name. Lost people inside the church will do lost things and give the church a bad name. And because the lost can only imitate the saved for so long, their true nature, their true lostness of, the, of, a, of a tear will come out. Their weedy life will come out. So what I'm trying to say today is that you do not need to base your hope of heaven on some experience that you had at one time or another. You need to be sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have truly trusted in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. But look with me at verses 26 through 30, and we see that both progressed together. There was all the activity of the wheat. Now this is interesting. Both the wheat and the tares grew. As the wheat grew, so the tares grew alongside them. They did everything the wheat did, and they looked good doing it. 
I think it's pretty obvious that saved people grow in the Lord. If you stay in the church, if you spend time in the Word of God and in prayer, if you spend time coming to services and worshiping together, you're going to find a life that's growing and prospering and, and, and bringing fruit to the glory of God. However, did you know that it is possible for lost people to grow in knowledge of the Word of God, head knowledge, within a church? Of course they can. Well, how's that? You can grow intellectually without growing spiritually. You can increase in head knowledge without experiencing any heart change. Take the Bible, for instance. It's a spiritual book. That means that it takes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, to understand the deep truths of the Word. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, imagine a lost person who gets deceived into thinking that he or she is a saved person. And so they come to Brinesburg Baptist Church, and they sit under the preaching of the Word of God. They sit under some wonderful Bible teaching in Sunday school for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years. That lost person is certainly going to learn enough head knowledge to make you think they know things about the Bible. They can memorize it. They know Bible stories. They know Bible verses. They've memorized it. It's in their head. They can possess all the activity of a genuine believer. Weeds in the church sing in the choir. Weeds in the church serve as deacons. Weeds in the church sometimes serve as Sunday school teachers. Weeds in the church can be faithful to prayer meetings even. They can even stand in a pulpit from time to time and preach in in the pulpit of of churches that you would think, well, they've got it together. But just because they have the activity of wheat does not mean that they are the real thing. So there was all of the appearance of wheat. There was all of the appearance of wheat. Not only do these weeds grow alongside the wheat, but they also look just like the wheat. Until the tear has matured completely, it's impossible for you to tell one from the other. If you had wheat in one hand and tares in the other before they they produced their heads, you wouldn't know which was which. Your eye test wouldn't work. And that's the way it is in the church as well. We cannot tell the difference between the genuine and the artificial many times. The weeds in the church dress right. The weeds in the church oftentimes talk right. They walk right. They they give the appearance of, of being one of the saved. You might examine a real Christian and a lost one together and, and not be able to tell them apart. And that's why we must never be guilty of trying to convince someone that they're saved when they begin to ask questions. Never try to convince them that they're saved until you know what's going on in the relationship with Christ. And that's something between them and the Holy Spirit. There was none of the abundance of wheat either. None of the abundance of wheat. So the tares act like wheat. They look like wheat. But this is where the similarities end. One thing the tares cannot produce is lasting fruit. If you were to open the head of the wheat plant, what would you find? You'd find wheat kernels. They're heavy. They're fruitful. They could be made into bread. They could be used to nourish the body. If you open the head of the tear, you would find little tiny black poisonous seeds. One thing the tear could never produce is lasting fruits. And so it is with the weeds in the church. They give all of the external appearances of being the real deal. They look and act right. They talk right. They walk right. But when you get right down to it, there is no true lasting spiritual fruit in their life. And so what do we mean by fruit? Well, weeds lack what might be referred to as 
genuine fruit, what, what a genuine believer has, what makes a genuine believer special. They lack what we see Paul speak of in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They lack that fruit, singular. They lack that fruit of the Spirit. They may be able to counterfeit it for a while, but eventually the true nature of Galatians 5, 19 through 21, the fruit of the flesh, the actions of, of, of the flesh, of the nature sinful nature are going to come out and so if you are a weed you might give all the external appearances of being a christian but don't let that fool you when's the last time you shared the gospel when's the last time you led somebody to jesus when's the last time you invested in something of a truly eternal nature that's the question be sure your faith in jesus christ is genuine that you're not just going through the motions that it's in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's interesting to note the response of the farmer when he was asked about the removal of the tares. His counsel was to allow them to both grow together until the harvest. Now why? Because the roots of the tares would intertwine with those of the true wheat. And, and if the tares were to be pulled out, some of the wheat would have been damaged as well. And he didn't want the wheat to be damaged. And in the same way, we can't go into the church and be like, well, I'm gonna, that's not a real Christian. I'm going to pull them out. Whoa! You're going to do some irreversible damage if you go in trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit that is only the Holy Spirit's to do. He says, wait, and in the time of the harvest, it will be clear. And so, again, let me caution you against playing the Holy Spirit. You don't know the heart of any individual. You only know your own heart, and sometimes that's deceived. But trust him to do the sorting out. And he will, he will show the true fruit in the end. But then thirdly, both were processed together. Look at verse 30. Eventually the day of harvest arrives and the reapers were sent into the field to gather the tares first and then the wheat. So how could they tell the difference? Well, once the kernels of the wheat were produced, as I said before, it becomes so heavy that the wheat stalks would have bowed themselves. They looked as if they were bowing themselves to the ground in humility. They, 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 were a, they looked like a more humble plant. Whereas the tares would have, would have stood straight up proud. And it would be very easy for the harvesters to go in and grab up those that were standing tall. And to pull them out very quickly away from the true wheat. Also we see here the picture uh, is clear for the genuine believer grows in the Lord. And, and, and tends to become humbler before the presence of God. Where the tares on the other hand will stand in pride. And will end up going to hell, clinging tightly to their false beliefs of their goodness and their good works. And it's all foolishness. When the harvest time came, they were both gathered, but they had vastly different ends. We're told that the weeds were burned. These plants, these tares, they were gathered together. They were dried and they were used much like we would use kindling today. They were fit for nothing but to be burned. And if the tares were accidentally eaten, they would cause nausea and dizziness. It was a poison within those, those tares. And so they weren't good for anything other than to be burned. But the wheat, on the other hand, would be barned. And so the wheat was gathered, and it was put into the barn. And there it would be fruitful for the farmer. He was able to do something with it. He was able to feed his family. He was able to sell it and, and provide for his family. He kept the wheat, but he... He got rid of the tares. The implication here is very clear. 
And when this life has run its course, there are only two possible destinations for the human soul. Every person who lives and dies living a weedy life will find themselves cast in the fire of hell to be eternally separated from the presence of God. But the genuine believer, on the other hand, can look forward to going to heaven and being gathered into the Lord's house, into our true home in heaven forever. So listen to me this morning. The question comes, which will it be for you? It all depends on whether you are a weed or whether you're wheat. Friend, examine yourself and examine yourself very carefully this morning. Don't allow yourself to be deceived right into hell. Because if your faith is anywhere else other than the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have anything other than a relationship, a personal love relationship with Christ, then it's weed. It's a weedy life for you. And maybe you've been living that way for a very long time and you've gotten pretty good at it. That life will lead you to hell. If your faith is anywhere other than Christ, then you're destined to be separated from him. And so as we come to time for our musicians to come, I'd like to ask you a question. How are, how are weeds made? Where do they come from? How, how do they get into the church? Well, it's the work of Satan, but there are, are some things that you need to be aware of. Beware of, of good works. It's easy to substitute good works for salvation, and often the tares are, are no worse. In fact, they, many times they're, they're the best people in the church because they're trying to work their way to heaven. And so don't allow the works, good works to to, to cause you to think that you're saved whenever you don't really have a relationship. Beware of, of, of good belief. There's a real danger. When you grow up in a place like Bryansburg, when you grow up in a good Bible-teaching church that you hear so much of the Word of God that you become numb to it. And, and maybe you've got good doctrine, but you've got no faith relationship with Christ. And so don't allow yourself to think that because you do everything by the, the letter of the book, meaning you keep the rules, that you have a relationship. If you're just keeping the rules, then you're still lost. So don't allow just good belief to substitute for a real relationship. And beware of, of good people. There, there are people who would never harm you for anything. And they're telling you, Yo, I'm sure you're saved. I remember you walked an aisle. I remember when you were baptized. But they don't know your relationship with Christ. And so don't allow good people telling you you're, you're a good person. And make sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. Well-meaning people can send you to hell trying to convince you that you have a relationship that you never had. And beware of good feelings. Many times we have great services here. Maybe you had an emotional feeling. You had a, a tingly feeling one time. What's well, not about that? Don't allow just a good feeling, an emotional experience to send you to hell. Make sure you have a relationship with Christ. Make sure you've said yes to him. You've repented of sin and come to Jesus Christ. God has, has spoken to some of you today. And maybe you're using the excuse of, well, Brother Brad, that's the devil. He's just trying to get me to question my salvation. I seriously doubt that. Not in a service like today. Maybe if you were needing to be called to do a ministry and in and, and, and the privacy of your own home, you were thinking, no, I'm not good enough to do that. But here in this moment, as the invitation is being given and, and, and it, the, the truth of the gospel is being preached, no, the devil doesn't want you to come to Christ. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. He's convicting you of, you know what, you've been living a counterfeit, weedy life. And you need to come to Jesus today. And if that's you today, I don't care what your title might be. I don't care how many years you've been a member of the church. If you're lost this morning, there's no reason to stay lost. And you know what's going to happen when you come? We're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice like the angels in heaven are rejoicing. 
And maybe you've never even pretended to be saved. And today's the day that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin. And you feel the weight of that. You feel the repentance of, of sin right now. And you want to trust Christ. You come today. There are many people who need to make a decision today, I'm sure. Don't allow anything to get in between you and Jesus. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, I know that this is a heavy subject for many. And Lord, I, I pray that you would make it clear to the hearts of the saved today that you have a, a relationship with them and that they have trusted you and that that is just as clear as, as the most important relationship in their life is. Lord, that they wouldn't question it because they know that it is solid and it's been founded upon the truth. But for those who do not have a relationship with you, for those who are trusting in a religious experience, for those that are trusting in good works, for those who are trusting in what somebody else said about their experience, Lord, help them not be deceived, but help them come to you today, to your honor and glory. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.